everyone. In this podcast, I'd like to share my thoughts and try to give some answers to perhaps one of the biggest questions we, as a society, must ask ourselves. Is the vast amount of money that is spent on wildlife conservation actually worth it? First of all, I'd like to thank uh, an ex-biology student of mine, Olivia Thomas, and a current student, Laurie-Anne, for their research and content for this podcast. In 2012, the cost of meeting global conservation targets was estimated to be around $80 billion. So we're talking about maybe £65 million. Now, that's enough money to fully fund, according to researchers, fully fund Cancer Research UK for around 124 years, pay off over 21 million average UK student loans, or buy 53 billion TB vaccines. To determine if the money spent on wildlife conservation is worthwhile, it must be ascertained if the money spent positively impacts wildlife and, importantly, if it is worth conserving wildlife at all. So I intend to explore the reasons for conserving wildlife in this podcast. I'm going to discuss some specific conservation projects and determine if conservation in general has an actual positive impact. Now the reasons to justify conserving the planet are plentiful. Many people have an appreciation for the natural world and as a result... Leisure time often involves nature. I mean, it ranges from scuba diving with turtles to even just laughing at funny orangutan videos on the internet. This is the aesthetic argument for conservation. In this sense, you could say that we should preserve nature for the same reasons that we preserve Monet's Water Lily series. It's universally engaging and entertaining, and so it's worth safeguarding. Nevertheless, for many... Nature's aesthetic appeal alone isn't sufficiently persuasive. In addition to being amusing, there must be a profit to be made from conservation. Just for some, that's crucial. I mean, this forms the economic argument. Many nations' economies are dependent on their wildlife for tourism. Take, for example, Uganda. Now, Uganda promotes itself as the only country with windy mountain gorillas. And this is its unique selling point for tourism, which contributes to around £17 million uh, to the Ugandan economy. It's about 9% of its total GDP. Also, countless industries take from nature. Mint coats auction for around, uh, I think it's about £18,000. And deer musk was once worth twice its weight in gold. So there is clearly a profit to be made from the aesthetic appeal of nature. Arguably, now, the most compelling reason we should conserve is that we need biodiversity to sustain our lives. Wildlife contributes immeasurably to human continuation. It provides breathable air, I mean, fun fundamentally, climate regulation, food, fuels, fibres. This argument is classified as the survival uh, value of nature and it's widely used as it appeals to human I guess you could say human egoism we preserve wildlife to preserve ourselves something called the Gaia hypothesis proposes that biotic and abiotic factors of earth interact to create a sort of self-regulating system that maintains conditions for life 
Now these factors correct environmental fluctuations by constantly returning conditions to equilibrium, acting as a bit of a buffer, maintaining resources and optimal living rather conditions. So if nature is not conserved, this buffer will fade and global temperatures, seawater salinity and carbon dioxide levels will become too hostile for even human life. Now, what's more important is that scientists uh, search for useful products in nature persistently. Now, this is something called bioprospecting. An example of uh, this is Paclixitel. It's a chemotherapy drug on the World uh, Health Organization's, the WHO, model list of essential medicines. And it's derived from Pacific yew trees. Now, half of all pharmaceuticals are directly derived from natural sources. So if little is done to prevent the loss of biodiversity, vital medicines like this one will be lost. Unsurprisingly, the, the, the arguments that I've said so far are not without their weaknesses. Principally, each argument excludes a sort of category of animal and I'll just exp exp explain what I mean by that. The aesthetic argument neglects animals and plants that are unappealing, suggesting that we should shun all proboscis uh, monkeys because you could argue they're not very beautiful. One of the most recent large mammals to go extinct was the Yangtze River dolphin. Now, these dolphins were actually described as worn-out pieces of pink soap with piggy eyes by wildlife advocate Chris um, Packham. Yangtze dolphins were never going to be the poster image for conservation campaigns like WWF's cuddly giant pandas are. So there's very little interest in uh, their conservation. Perhaps if the Yangtze dolphin had been prettier, now I know this is a bit of an odd thing to suggest, but if it had been prettier, maybe it would have not have been ignored and might have survived. The economic argument excludes wildlife that does not provide profit. However, the giant panda has very little ecological or economic importance and still millions of dollars, millions of pounds are spent protecting it. The discriminatory aesthetic argument means that we conserve these ultimately, I know it's a little bit controversial, purposeless animals purely because they're cute looking. The scientific argument suggests that we should abandon species that do not contribute to human existence. If the blood, for example, if the blood of mountain gorillas does not contain miracle cures, do we let them die out? Additionally, only a few in thousands of natural compounds found via bioprospecting show actual pharmaceutical promise, and only fractions of these pass clinical trials. There are ways to find new medicines which don't involve surveying treacherous jungles in hope of finding some miracle mushroom. The survival argument for conservation has more substance to it. Nevertheless, the idea of organisms regulating conditions on Earth is flawed. If this were true, the Earth would just auto kind of correct. It would adjust to correct climate change and there would be no need for conservation. A common argument against conservation efforts is the fact that naturally, Without any conservation, species still become extinct and that we simply waste money trying to prevent a naturally occurring process. 
However, the, the current rate of species extinction is estimated to be up to about a thousand times higher than nature intended as a result purely of humans interfering with the natural world. I just want to perhaps go off on a little tangent, but I just want to expand on this idea for just a moment. Improved living conditions and healthcare are becoming more widely available, and that means death rates are decreasing, but the population is exponentially increasing. This exponential population growth impacts the environment in a number of ways. The space that we, we require is made available through clear-cutting, so they're removing all the trees from an area. Now that's detrimental to ecosystems and it destroys several habitats in the process. Animals are often displaced and they often die, and that contributes clearly to species endangerment. Less trees are available to photosynthesize, so they can't absorb the CO2 and release oxygen in the process. As a result, carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere increase, and I'm sure those listening to this podcast are aware of the greenhouse effect. The, the increased demand for energy results in an increase in the combustion of fossil fuels. This further adds CO2 levels into our atmosphere, threatening the world species even more. Interestingly, the highest level of CO2 recorded before, um, about, let's go back a little bit to 1950, I think it was around 300 parts per million. But current measurements of CO2 levels have exceeded above 400 parts per million, the highest amount ever recorded in at least the last 400,000 years. The result of this global warming is that Arctic land ice and glaciers are melting, leaving those Arctic animals stranded. And in addition, it's thought that ocean levels are rising at a rate of about 3, 3.4, I think it's about 3.42 actually, uh, millimetres per year which creates, in essence, this kind of positive feedback loop, as now there's more water to absorb that increased amount of heat. We're already seeing and experiencing more serious and more frequent weather events, bigger floods, stronger hurricanes, prolonged droughts. Changes in landscapes put stress on ecosystems and endanger plant and animal species. So you could argue, therefore, that the money spent on conservation is necessary to preserve our land, and our wildlife, ultimately, because it's our fault. We are the root cause of this accelerated habitat destruction, and we basically need to fix it. In the past, there have been mass extinctions proven by fossil records to be caused by rapid climate change. The five most notable are, are the Ordovician Silurian, the Late Devonian, the Permian Triassic, where we think we lost about 96% of all species, the Triassic Jurassic, where we think we lost about 80 species, 80% rather, of species present there, and then the Cretaceous uh, Paleogene. Now, the causes of these climate changes are debated, but need we worry about our impact if cycles of extinction occurred even before human emergence? That's the question now that you might raise. Also, the Darwinian term, uh, survival of the fittest, suggests it's more sustainable to let species that can't cope with climate change to go extinct, to allow wildlife to evolve and create more uh, resilient populations. Certainly one argument. The ways in which we conserve wildlife are also, to some respect, quite questionable. Developing a conservation plan is complicated with species prioritisation, political and ethical debates, and human compromise requiring consideration. 
this complexity does lead to many conservation projects failing. Ethical debates surrounding conservation focus on implications of reducing the population of one species to conserve another. A key example of this is the, uh, a bit of an odd name, the bumphead parrotfish. This species is threatened but numbers are increasing due to the overfishing of sharks which feed on the fish. However, parrotfish destroy diverse coral reef habitats. The logical decision is to cull parrotfish to preserve corals and the billions of species that inhabit them. But this is immoral. Similarly, to realistically preserve bird species, we would have to cull cats, since cats kill over a million birds a day in places like Australia. However, I don't think pet owners are that enthusiastic about killing their British shorthairs. Cultural conceptions often contradict the conservation efforts. People may not stop burning forests or hunting animals in aim of conservation if it is part of a tradition. And often conservation laws criminalise local communities because of this. Conservation comes from, again, you could argue, uh, a position of privilege. When wealthy people protect snow leopards, farmers in Nepal do not have the power to argue against laws forbidding their harm despite the threat that they pose to their livestock. When endangered species threaten human livelihoods, the conflict hinders the progress of conservation as the wildlife is seen as destructive and not worth conserving. Compensation schemes do exist but often fail. They lead to farmers reducing their defences as they know they will be compensated for damage and this exacerbates direct conflicts with wildlife. Compensation money, just to pick up on that, compensation money is mainly used for agricultural expansion where natural habitat is converted to farmland. And overall, the net effect on wildlife from compensation schemes is usually negative according to uh, research done in 2005. Some conservation projects are controversial. For existence, the proposed dodo de-extinction it's called. Using a piece of dodo skin preserved at the Oxford Natural History Museum, researchers want to genetically engineer a bird to bear dodo chicks. Now, in some ways, this project is a bit of an extension of what conservationists already do. They reintroduce species. But this project is just much more expensive. Now, the scheme to some may seem a little bit ridiculous, but it hopes to inspire public interest and enthusiasm in conservation. But the project is not only destined to fail, as dodos have proven their inability to evade modern predators, but it also perhaps sends the wrong message about conservation and human responsibility towards the natural world. We learn lessons from animal extinctions as they make us more conscious of our impact on the world. If we can simply just de-extinct a species, we won't be as mindful of the consequences of our actions. Some conservation projects do claim to be successful, and in, I think it was November 2017, Nature, the journal Nature, published the first quantitative evidence of conservation being a success. They showed that conservation investment had supposedly reduced biodiversity loss in around 109 countries. However, they also found that the impact of investment decreases 
as human development pressures become the limiting factors of conservation, not money. Therefore, I think what that means is, as the human population grows, as it is doing, conservation investment will become in, inconsequential, ultimately. So, perhaps, we should stop spending foolish amounts of money on conservation, as extinction is evidently part of Earth's existence. We perhaps should say goodbye to fluffy pandas, just as we have recently said goodbye to the white rhinos. Notably, over 25 institutions funded extortionately costly white rhino conservation, including UNESCO and the BBC. But the money, you could argue, was a waste. The white rhino still went extinct. Conservation efforts and conservation attempts are frequently unsuccessful and often have negative impacts, despite the billions that are spent. I think, as a biologist, I would have to argue that conservation must be focused on crucial organisms that maintain environments, and our efforts must be redesigned to better protect these species in a more economically efficient way. Just to finish, I thought you'd be interested to know that every single organism mentioned in this podcast is on the IUCN Red List, classified as either vulnerable, endangered, or critically endangered, or even extinct, with the exception of the Mycobacterium tuberculosis, the one that causes TB, the British shorthairs, and humans, obviously. So sea turtles, orangutan, water lilies, many sharks, musk deers, mountain gorillas, European minks, Pacific yew trees, white ferula mushrooms, parrotfish, proboscis monkeys, corals, Giant pandas, the Yangtze River dolphins, white rhinos, dodos, corals, snow leopards. All on that list. It's definitely something to think about, that's for sure. And on that note, I'd like to thank you all for listening.